welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to a full length episode of the podcast. I have been avoiding doing this because you can hear why. (laughs) I've been doing my daily podcast, but my voice is still just ridiculous. And um, it's not getting better, partly, I think, because I can't rest it. Um, My job involves yelling at people. (laughs) Uh, Not Roy. Sometimes the dog. But on the beach, I'm always yelling over the wind. Um, In classes that I teach at the spa, I'm yelling. Um... And so my voice doesn't necessarily get to rest. And so I think that's why it still sounds like this. But if you've ever watched the show Friends, you remember the episode where Phoebe had a cold and she loved her sexy voice. And she was super bummed when she started to feel better because she lost her sexy voice. So she tried to catch a cold by like getting her head wet and sticking it out the window and stuff because she wanted her sexy voice back. Um, That's not me. I'm over this. I do not care about sounding sexy. I don't think I sound sexy. I just would like to be able to talk um, normally, not have people say, what's wrong with you? And also, I miss being able to sing. I really like to sing, and I sing a lot around the house and whatnot. And um, when I sing right now, it's hysterical. So I'm having fun singing at Roy um, to make him laugh because it sounds ridiculous. Um, I would sing a bar or two for you now, but I can't do it without laughing at myself. But anyway, um, but I'm like, you know, who knows how long this is going to take. Maybe this is just what I sound like uh, for the rest of my life. And then what, am I just never going to podcast again? Which would be really sad. Uh, But anyway, so we got home from Rome and that's when this happened. So um, we had a really long flight home from Madrid. We had a layover in Madrid and our flight home they said there was turbulence. Um, and so please buckle your seatbelts and stay in your seats. Well, we did not feel any turbulence, but the, the main result was they didn't have like service. Um, so they didn't bring around beverages. And so I ran out of water and it was so dry on the plane, like usual. And then we had very little to drink. And then, I mean, I got sick with something as well, but basically getting off the plane, I've never felt like my whole body was so dry in my life. And then it just turned into this like crazy congestion cold thing. Both Roy and me, since we've gotten home, have just felt like garbage. So unfortunately, we had booked our lives so, so jam-packed that when we got home, we landed, had a few hours sleep, and we were on the beach a few hours later running boot camp. And then I had clients booked. And so, um, you know, being gone for 10 days was wonderful, but when we're gone, we don't get paid for anything. Uh, and you know, you don't work, there's no such thing as PTO when you're an entrepreneur. So, um, so it was important to work up until the minute we left and then work the minute we got home. So, um, no rest time really programmed, but went from boot camp to clients and all that stuff. And then just went to bed. So lots of napping, lots of resting, and it didn't matter. It just, it's been hanging on. We both feel fine now, um, but I still sound like this. Um, Roy has been coughing. It's been it's been an interesting return to normal, but a joyful one. Um, you know that you have a wonderful life when you love coming home from vacation. 
Um, obviously, there's the typical letdown womp womp. It was fun to look forward to. It was so fun to go, but um, crafting a life that I don't feel like I have to run away from and I don't need a vacation from very often has been intentional and it's joyful. So coming home, seeing our boot campers, I mean, I talk about them a lot here. I love these people so much. I I lived in Minnesota for 42 years. I had wonderful friends there, still have wonderful friends there. But the way that my life was set up was very similar to how everyone's life in Minnesota is set up. You live kind of in the suburb. If you have a work, if you work you know, downtown or somewhere, you're driving to work. You have friends at work. You drive home. You know, you have your connections that are spread out. And you maybe have, you have friends in your neighborhood, whatnot. I never really did. And so I had gym friends. I had a lot of gym friends I saw every day. But my, my network of people very spread out. Work friends, family, um, gym friends, different groups of people. Moving here knowing no one, I've made all of my friends within a block of my house. My neighbors come to boot camp. They've become my friends. Other people at boot camp that have come from a little further, they're my friends. I see them on the beach path. So if I go for a walk, it's very normal. I see five or six people I know. Hi, oh my gosh, how are you? Good morning. Seeing them on their bikes, walking their dogs. I see them in the grocery store. I work here at the Carillon. I'm recording this at the Carillon in between classes. Um, I see people here that I coach in the grocery store at the Walgreens. Um, Very rarely drive my car. I'm just, my life is here within like one, one square mile. And I know so many more people here than I ever knew in Minnesota. And I see them all the time. And it's so wonderful. And I would say 80% of them are boot campers. So they're people that I get to coach, that I get to hang out with. We do social stuff. Tonight we're going to an 80s dance party at the Normandy Fountain, which is this beautiful like town square here on the beach. Um, and so coming home to these boot campers makes me so happy. Uh, such FOMO when we're gone and miss them all. And um, so so wonderful to come home to all of them. And then my personal training clients, it's like they're my clients, but I mean, they be, you, I spend time with these people. We talk, they become my friends. They're some of the closest people in my life. I share my life, they share their life with me. I have a little bit, I have a little bit different set of boundaries with some of my clients than maybe some trainers do just because a lot of my clients have been with me since I started being a trainer. And they've grown with me, and we've been through a lot of things in our lives at the same time. And, you know, I stand there and count reps, but we also share our lives. So all that to say, wonderful to come home to these beautiful souls and to, of course, Mr. Gustavo, that dog. We missed him so much. It was so wonderful to come home to Gus um, and our home. So, um, but then back to routine and work and all of those things. So... That's what's been going on, just getting back to normal. Um, I can't remember all the things, the newsy things that I've talked about in my podcasts, um, the last full episodes, but um, my sister was here before we went to, uh, on our trip to Italy, my sister and her fiance were here, and um, it was so wonderful to have her here on the beach, and it was fun because they fell in love with Miami, and um, so they're going to be getting married in April. Um, they're going to go over to Fort Myers and get married and then come and spend a couple of days here in Miami. So I'm super excited, looking forward to that later this month um, to see my sister. 
and then going back home to Minnesota for her wedding celebration in June. So right now we're looking forward to more travel, more fun stuff, but in the U.S., no more global travel right now, but so excited to see family. I miss my family so much. Sometimes it just like makes my makes my face hurt. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, like I was thinking about my brother today. My brother's birthday is tomorrow. And um, I just, I wish that I had the time and the freedom and the money to just hop on a plane and go home and just walk in and be like, happy birthday and bring him an angel food cake, his favorite, and then come home. That would be so rad. I think about all the years I lived in Minnesota and I didn't monopolize on that. It makes me mad that I was so flippant with the opportunity to see my family. But there was one year with my brother's birthday. So my brother um, used to live in with me in my house and um, live with me in my house. Do you like how Captain Obvious? Sometimes these things I say, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Kristen? Obviously in my house. What, in my, in my hole in the ground? Anyway, it was his birthday and his favorite cake is angel food cake. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to make Alan a birthday cake. So I had never made an angel food cake before. I personally don't like angel food cake. And so um, my mom always made it in one of those round, tall cake pans with the hole in the middle, um, a springform pan, I think it's called, where the bottom pops out. So she used to make them, and they're really big and tall, and then you let them cool and you take them out. I don't know. I never really watched the process because I didn't care about ancient food cake. So I didn't have one of those, but on the box, it showed you could make it like in a loaf pan. So I'm like, fine, I'll do that. So I just whipped up the cake mix, dumped it in the loaf pan, baked it off. And then like I always do with cake, I pulled it out and put it on a wire cooling rack to cool. Well, I didn't understand, didn't know that with uh, angel food cake, you need to, uh, it needs to cool in the pan or else it flattens or whatever. So I take it out of the pan, I walk away, I come back. It was like one inch tall. It was like, it was like, it was like a brownie. It was the angel food cake brownie block, and it was not fluffy, and it was not tall. And I was like, well, I don't really know what happened with that. So Alan got home, and I'm like, hey, I made you a cake. There it is. And he was like, are you kidding me? Um, So it was an epic fail. I think he ate it anyway. It probably ate it in one bite because it was miniature. But um, he brings it up. Shocking. My brother brings up um, old fails in the past, throws it in my, throws it in my face. (laughs) Anyway, it was really funny. So yeah, he brings it up like, Hey, you're going to make an angel food cake. I'm like, no. Um, so his birthday's tomorrow. I'm going to see if I can find a bakery with angel food cake, um, and deliver to the house, um, where, where he lives again. Wow. More obvious. Deliver to the house where he clearly lives because that's what you do in a house. And um, for his birthday, I don't know if he'll eat it. I don't know if he's eating sugar. But anyway, so happy birthday to my brother. I think he listens to most of my podcasts. So happy birthday to my big brother. He's going to be, let's see, 52. It's hard to believe I have a brother who's 52. I'm going to be 45. We are old farts, man. We are old as dirt. (sighs) very, very sad that that happens, that we become old. I feel very um, middle age, not like, um, I mean, I feel like I'm going to live to be 90. So I feel like I really am in the middle part of my life, which makes me feel kind of young, but also it makes me tired when I think about, I've lived 45 years and that's how many more years I'm going to live. That's a long time. I have a lot of work to do. It's a lot of work because I know I'm not going to like retire. Is retirement sounds terrible. I mean, 
I don't know, people who are retired, I don't know what you do with your time. The retirees that I know are, do not sit around. Like my, um, my client, Steve, he's retired. He's the busiest person I've ever met, but he does all kinds of really cool stuff. So maybe I'll retire like that where I, I mean, he's active. He bikes, he swims, he plays golf, he's learning pickleball. I train him. He does Peloton. He's so, super active. He goes to like art galas. He goes to art fundraisers. This is like massively smart person who knows everything about everything and travels. That kind of retirement, yeah, maybe sign me up. But these people who retire and then like go to bridge club and then move into retirement like communities and play pickleball and then sleep, no, I'm good. I don't want to do that. I think retirement for me would look a lot like what my life is now, except maybe not so many working hours in a week, maybe half the time. I would say like half of the work that I do feels work, feels worky, and half of it just feels like super fun. Like this morning we did boot camp on the beach. It was our game format. That did not feel like work. I mean, it was work. We loaded the stuff up. We took it down there. We set it up. I got to blow the whistle a lot. To the While I love my boot campers, there are people that don't ever listen, that don't pay attention. I'm always like, hey, hey, and I have no voice. So I'm like, I'm really, really sick of yelling at you. So I blew my whistle like a harsh drill sergeant. Did it work? No, it did not. We just have chatty Cathy's. But anyway, it didn't feel like work. Here at the Caroline, some of my classes feel like work. Um, I hate some of the formats that they have me teaching here. Like there's a couple classes I teach where I'm like, I hate, I hate, I hate teaching this class format. Um, like roll and release. It's a foam rolling class. I hate it so much. Luckily, very rarely anybody comes. And so I don't even have to teach it. But, um, but like today, my first class, intro to weights. I had a group of three ladies. I was teaching them proper form on strength training, putting together a workout for them. That was so much fun. That did not feel like work. That was so much fun to see, to teach them and see them feel proper form, feel their muscles engage and to feel powerful. That's the most fun thing ever when you're Kristen. And then I was supposed to teach this class called Tread and Shed, which is like an orange theory class. So um, it's intervals on the treadmill. They're running, you know, base pace and then increase their speed and then all out sprint and then recover. Then we pop off after a while and we do some strength training and then we hop back on. Super fun. Nobody came today. I already knew most of the people were going to be out of town. So no one came. So right now I'm recording this podcast instead and I'm getting paid to do nothing, um, which is awesome. But normally that class does not feel like work. I love it. I love the people who come to that class. We chat. We have the best time. And then after this, I'm teaching rock wall, which basically I rope people in and harness them in and help them navigate climbing this big rock wall we have here. It's so much fun. That does not feel like work, even though it's work. So, I mean, if I was retired, I would still want to do exactly what I'm doing today. Exactly what I'm doing today. It's so much fun. So again, proof that I'm curating a life that is exactly how I want to live. Now, the next goal is to identify all the things I hate to do and get them out of my life and replace them with things I also love to do so that everything I do feels as fun as the things that I just talked about. So that's the goal. I recommend that for you too. I mean, sometimes I dread coming here and teaching these three classes because I'm tired. But once I'm doing it, my soul is in charge. That's the key. Doing things where your soul is in charge. So your brain doesn't even really have to do a whole lot. You're just flowing with who you are. That is the ideal. It's so much fun. So <clears throat> along with that, so 
my next class, it's Family Rock Wall. And when I took on this class, I was a little nervous about it because I don't climb. I'm not a climber and I've never done it. But basically, like, it doesn't matter. Basically, you just need to understand the safety equipment, harness people in, rope them in, and they just climb. So it's really easy. You're just clipping people in and out. Well, no one told me that it was going to involve kids. And up until I started teaching this class, I'm ashamed to say, I used to always say, I don't like kids. Because I just, I mean, I really felt that way. I don't like kids. I had this story in my head that I don't like kids. I liked my own kid. I liked it when, when he was a kid. I liked the age he was and all his friends. So I enjoyed kids as he grew up. <clears throat> but in general, I'd be like, no, I don't like kids. I don't understand kids, whatever. And I'm not around kids. I was not around kids very much. But I kept saying that. And it was like, became this thing. It was like cemented in my head. I don't like kids. So when I'm like, oh crap, there's kids. I'm like, I don't like kids. This is going to suck. And so the first couple of classes indeed sucked because I had this story that I don't like kids. Um, but what I found out is I really love kids. And teaching this class, helping these kids has become such a joy for me. I cannot, I cannot believe how much I have missed out on because of this stupid idea that I had in my head that I don't like kids. My soul loves kids. Why? Because I'm freaking eight years old myself. So the first couple of classes, they sucked not because the kids sucked, but because their moms sucked. Let me tell you, parents, you have a really big job because um, you, you are the PR for your kid. And if you're a nightmare to deal with, people aren't going to like to see your kid coming. Not because there's something wrong with your kid, but because they don't want to deal with you. So... These two little girls came, they were friends, they were the cutest little things, sweetest little things. And there was two of them, two kids get to climb at a time. There's other ropes, but I don't know how to deal with them and I haven't learned, whatever. Sorry, Sarah, I know you're listening and I know you taught me, I don't remember, I have to learn again. Anyway, so they were climbing together. Well, another kid came, just one. And the deal is you rope two in, they climb for five minutes, then you switch out with another two kids. Well, because there was one kid, the, both the girls came off and I put this one kid on and then they wanted to go again. And I forget how it happened, but basically we got out of sync and the two little girls who were friends couldn't climb together and the timing got all screwed up. So they started crying and whining because they were little girls and that's okay. That's, they didn't understand why all of a sudden it was screwed up. I made a mistake. I own it. But the mother was like, I know, I know it's not fair. I know, but you know what? I know you should have climbed already. I know it's not fair. It's not okay. But sometimes we have to deal with things that aren't okay. And then the little girl was like, Coach Sarah used to whatever, whatever, because Sarah used to teach this class. And the mom's like, I know Sarah never made that mistake, but this is a new person. I'm standing right there. I'm like, excuse me. I didn't say anything, but I wanted to punch her. It's like, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you that you are enforcing this idea that, ooh, the teacher screwed up and it's not fair? Why don't you say, listen, there's a lot going on. Isn't it great that you get to climb the wall? She's doing her best. I don't know. Just don't be a raging bad word. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this. So that's that was terrible the first couple times. But then I had a day where I had a little girl, she was scared. And she'd climb a couple pegs up and she'd get scared. 
And I, I met, made eye contact with her and I just said, okay, listen, I know it's scary, but it's normal to be afraid. Everyone's afraid, but also everyone has courage and we all use our courage to fight fear. So when you say I'm scared, of course you're scared. You're higher than you've ever been off the ground. But then you say, but of course I have courage. That means I can keep going because my courage is going to help me overcome my fear. So I just want you to go one step higher than last time and then come down. And then you'll try again. And then you won't be afraid to go to that spot. And you can go one step higher. And if you're a little afraid, just use a little courage. Anyway, it worked. And she made eye contact with me. She listened to me. She went one peg higher. She got this big grin on her face and she kept going. And then she came down and she was so proud of herself. And I was like, you know what? You are so tenacious. Tenacious means that you don't give up and you keep pushing. And when she left that class, she was so proud of herself and she was walking taller and she was so proud and I was so proud of her. And I was proud of me because I realized I don't not like children. Where did that come from? I loved this child and I loved this opportunity and I'm good at this. So now I love this class. I love that I get to make eye contact with these little kids and sometimes adults too who are a little fearful and they come in and they come to climb as well and to teach them courage, to teach them tenacity. And the Sunday before we went to Italy, the most amazing thing happened in this class. I taught class. We worked all day that Sunday and then we flew out at night. And I had, um, sometimes people come to class and then they climb a little bit, they get tired and they leave. Like it's really hard on your grip. So these two teenagers came, they climbed for a while, 20 minutes, they were done. So I thought I got to leave early. I'm like, woohoo, I get to leave early and it's perfect because I'm going to go pack and go to Italy. Well, as I was about to leave, this little girl walked up with her dad and the dad said, oh, are we too late? And I said, oh, no, you're fine. You can... You can climb, but inside I was a little disappointed. I'm like, dang, I'm going to work. But this little girl, she's the cutest thing ever, strapping her in. And um, she said to me, she goes, guess what? I said, what? She said, you're my favorite teacher. I said, what? Really? You just met me. What did I do? And she's like, you're so nice. It was so sweet. I said, well, you're so nice too. So I got her on the wall and she was climbing and I was talking to her dad. Her dad was super nice and she'd climb up a little bit and come up and come down. And I was again, teaching her about fear and courage and don't, telling her just go one more higher. And we were bonding and it was super fun. So then she got tired and it was time to be done. And so I was unstrapping her and she looks me in the eye again. And she said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, what? She said, I already love you. And I just stared at her. I said, wow, thank you. I said, you know what? I already love you. And there was this moment of this love between this sweet little girl. And it was, I felt like the universe was speaking through her mouth to just basically say, it doesn't even matter. This little girl doesn't know anything about me. She experienced me for 20 minutes. But she is so open to love and so open to everything in life. Her little eyes are wide open. Her little heart is wide open that she was not afraid to just say, hey, I love you. She felt love for me and she spoke it. 
And I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to do anything. She already liked me best the minute she met me. And I decided to just grab that truth and take it with me as the universe saying, I love you. I already loved you before the foundations of the earth, before I did anything, before I felt like I had earned value on the planet, I'm loved. And the little girl solidified that to me and it was such a gift. It was such a gift. I walk home with the biggest grin on my face. I just, I felt that love sink into every pore of my being. And I thought, Kristen, you used to say you don't like kids. And yet children are the most innocent, beautiful vessels of truth and pure love on the planet. How much love have I been missing out on by this stupid narrative that I had for so long that I don't like kids? And now kids are being used so mightily in my life to teach me who I am, to teach me about the beauty and the innocence and the power of life and to speak love into my life. It was such a gift. So that's rock wall. <laughs> that was a long story, but I, wanna, I want you to, to let that sink into you too. Is there a story you're telling yourself? Something you don't like? Maybe you don't like kids. Why don't you like kids? I mean, I didn't like kids, or I thought I didn't like kids because they can be bratty and unruly and like loud and unpredictable. And I'm a very like, I like my routine and I like things to be predictable. And um, this was a stupid thing. But I realized like, no, I had, that was a narrative. That was just a stupid story in my head. Kids are full of joy. Kids, I teach people to connect with their inner child. And then me standing here saying, I don't like kids. I'm a rejecting actual children. What's wrong with that thinking? I don't know where it came from, but I'm so glad I have learned to reject it. So many times I think that we have these stories. I don't like this. I don't like that. Like, I don't like pickles. I don't like beets. I don't like children. I don't like cold. I don't like cold. I have tested that one enough. But is there a narrative in your mind that maybe you need to retest it, find out if it's really true? Is it really true? Ask yourself that question. And then also... I already love you. I don't even know most of you. I'm 99% of you, I don't know. And you listen, I don't know who you are or where you are, but I can tell you that my soul loves your soul. If you are coming back again and again for this podcast, it's because you connect with me somehow, which means our souls are connected. There is love flowing between you and me. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to tell me anything about yourself to make me go, wow. The fact that you're here existing and listening means that my love is flowing to you. So I already love you. Let that sink in. I hope it adds some beauty. I want you to let that settle into every cell of your soul. And if you do know me in person, then I absolutely can prove to you that I love you. Because the only people I keep in my life are people that I feel the love flowing. Period. Period. The love flows. So there you have it. That's what's been going on in my life. Are you uh, excited that you got to hear sexy voice Kristen talk at you for 25 minutes? <laughs> um, if you have any questions, by the way, about Italy, about marathon training, 
about living in Miami, about the work that I do, any of those things, I always say at the end of the episode to reach out to me, but I want to reiterate it here. I would love to hear from you. If you have questions or podcast topics that you want to hear about, I've been kind of structuring this podcast where I talk a little bit about my daily life like I just did, and then I have like a topic topic that is more structured. And so if you like that format, I'd like to hear from you. If you don't like that format, I'd like to hear from you. I just would like to hear from you because making these full-length episodes is really, really important, and I want to make sure that they add value to your life that they are doing a purpose, serving a purpose and doing something good. So I would love to hear from you, especially if you listen every day or every week um, to the full length episodes. I don't do them every week. What's wrong with me? Every full length episode, if you listen, I would love to hear more about what you'd like to hear in general. So, but in general, thank you for being here and listening, especially with uh, uh, Sexy Voice Kristen. All right, so today's topic is relationship stuff, and I've got a special guest today. His name is Roy. How's it going? <laughs> so how this works when we record episodes together is um, I use my phone to record the podcast, which, um, spoiler alert, if you want to do a podcast, you don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. You just get your phone. And so we have to sit really close to each other, which um, because we're you know still in a new relationship, we like that. Um, but we're just sitting here with our faces next to the phone talking. So, um, we're going to try to keep the audio quality good on this, but, um, if we falter, that's why. So I want to talk about this because, um, it's important. And because if you've been following my podcast or you know me at all, you know, I've been in a lot of relationships and I've talked about them here. Roy, have you been in a lot of relationships? I've been in a few. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he and I are both twice, twice divorced. Close divorce, yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> losers. losers. <laughs> and we've also had other relationships that were significant that didn't result in marriage. And so here we are in a relationship. I am uh, 44. He's 49. And so, of course, relationship, we're not going to, like, do it all perfectly. And I think both of us understand that the common denominator in every one of our previous relationships that didn't work out is us, like, that's exactly what I was just going to say. It's me. <laughs> yeah. So we're both, we both are messy humans, just like all of you, um, attempting to do life together. And so there's a lot to learn about that. So I wanted to, uh, when I started dating, I wanted to find a partner. Um, and I was, it was frustrating to me that in order to do that, I had to go on dates and <laughs> go and go and go on dates and hated Hated all the, the stuff go, that went along with dating. But I was fine being alone, happy being alone, all that stuff. Like, not miserable. But I wanted a partner to do life with. And up until the time that I started to be intentional about it, um, a lot of my relationships would start and then end because I felt like it was too much work. Like, I don't want to spend time with this person instead of work or build my businesses. Um, I don't, like, I would rather talk about boot camp and all the things I'm doing then invest in taking care of this person. And so relationships just seemed like a lot of work to me. And um, I didn't really want to do all of that. But I also knew that the right person for me wasn't going to show up out of nowhere on my doorstep. So I started doing dates and I started a podcast to just make it lighthearted, destination date. And um, I went on my first date with Roy because I needed podcast material. And there hasn't been another episode of that because he's right here 
And so we've been dating for, um, it'll be a year on Tuesday that we met. Almost a year. That's crazy. We weren't dating seriously and exclusively like the whole time we had some little ups and downs. But we met a year ago last Tuesday. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. So <clears throat> the important thing about relationship, in my opinion, and the opinion of everyone that's smart, is relationship is a tool to teach you about you. You're not with someone to complete them, to find love, to finally have love. You're in a relationship to enjoy life together and also um, as a way to grow. Relationships grow us if we choose to allow it. They can't hear you nodding. Oh, I'm nodding. I'm in agreement. So you know what you should do is you just say nod. I'll say nod. Nod. Anyway, so I thought it would be fun to talk about the things that we have learned about ourselves since we started this relationship. Um, uh, I try to be introspective because I'm in this position where I podcast and I teach and I speak and all that. And so I need something to say. And I tend to use my life material. And so I think about these things a lot. And I also, I don't want to date a bunch of people till I die. I really would like to stay partnered up uh, with this one. And so I have a, a really vested interest in being the best person that I can be for this amazing human that is sitting right here. And I would say that even if you weren't sitting right no. here. So anyway, so we're just going to take turns talking about the things that we've learned about ourselves in this relationship and just kind of have a conversation. So we wrote some notes down ahead of time just so we would stay on topic, but we're also just going to chitty chat. But number one, the thing that I have learned about myself in this relationship is that I don't take direction or correction from males very well. <laughs> and I've learned this because we'll be running a little late and we'll all be like, we got to go. And I'll be like, yeah, I know. You're not my dad. And that comes out of my mouth all the time. All the time. <laughs> You're not my dad. And just a couple weeks ago, he pointed out, he's like, you know, you say that a lot. And I didn't realize it. And I didn't acknowledge it at the time that I heard him say that. But I've given it some thought. And yes, I do say that a lot. I feel that a lot. I get this rebellion when he is tracking my time or telling me what to do. And he's only being helpful. He's definitely, Roy, you are not. Anybody who knows Roy, he's not a taskmaster. He's not a jerk. He's not controlling. None of that stuff. He's just being helpful. But something in me just boils when he's like tapping his foot or like, we got to go. Or like, you knew that we were supposed to leave at seven and this happened again. And I'm just like, you know, my dad, I was on time all the time before I met you. Before I met you, I was just fine. And then now you're just, you know, I don't need a dad. And I realized why that is. So by the way, you don't have to understand where this stuff comes from in order to fix it. But I did understand where this is coming from. So I've done podcasts about my dad before. I love my dad. Just spoiler, disclaimer. I have no issues with my dad. I've, I've, I don't have resentment or anger or bitterness. I love my dad. But <clears throat> growing up, the dynamic was my mom was in charge. And my dad just didn't really have a big voice in discipline or how the house went. He went to work. He worked all the time. And when he wasn't working, he was sleeping. And, and he was busy. So my mom raised us basically with all the discipline and the rules. But once in a while, my dad would get upset and he would try to correct me. And 
immediately my rebellion would be like, you don't get to say, you. where have you been? You don't get to tell me what to do. You're never around. You don't talk to me. You don't care about me. All of a sudden, you're going to tell me what to do. Uh-uh. That's how I felt. And even though I'm a grown-up now, and he doesn't tell me what to do, and I've come to terms with all those things, and I know he was just doing his best, I realized that when Roy takes any kind of role of keeping me on task or criticizing, even if it's kindly, it's always kindly, uh, I rebel like I would with my dad. Do you see that any other way that I do that, right? No, I mean, no, you're kind of spot on. It's pretty much any time that I try to take charge with anything or keep you on task or any, anything, I, I see the rebellion come out. <laughs> when I'm totally fine with him taking charge of, like, stuff that isn't about me. Like, yeah. he runs a lot of stuff in our lives beautifully and, like, takes charge of things. But when it's over me, I'm just, like, I just get so, I get so mad. Mm. I get so mad. And I get, it is, it's almost like I want to be late on purpose just to be like, screw you, I will be there when I want to be there. And now you're going to wait longer. It's so bratty. You're such a bad. And it's so wrong. <laughs> so now that I've noticed that, I, I still feel it. But guess what? When we realize this crap about ourselves, when we find, uh, you know, say like we're both messy people, when we find a pile of trash in the corner of the living room of our heart, we don't have to ignore it and say, well, that's just how I am. Like that trash is just sitting there. Because guess what? That trash just stinks. And then the person who's living in that living room with you has to smell it. And I don't think that's fair. So while I'm not going to fix it overnight, it's my job as a human being who's in a relationship to work on my crap, to start cleaning it up. So um, what I'm doing intentionally now that I noticed it is I have a little, I like mantras. And so when I feel that writing, rising up, um, I say to myself, Kristen, be leadable, be correctable. There's nothing worse than somebody who can't be led or corrected. It's embarrassing. It's, you know, you see it happen. You can see it on reality TV. You can see it in dynamics in the office. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to see someone be so small-minded and so ego-driven that they can't take correction or leadership. I don't want to be that way. So it hurts in the moment and I, I'm working on it. I'm not going to do it all perfectly. But that's how I'm working on it. So just say that in my head. Be leadable, Kristen. Be correctable. He's not trying to be your dad. He deserves the respect of a partner who's, you know, going to be ready on time. It's not like it's the first time we have to be out the door at 655, Kristen. It's the 900th time, and you've been late every, you know, 850 of them. He has every right to say something. So I had to learn that about myself, that I don't take correction, and I notice it with other men. Like, I've had ma female bosses and jobs that I've worked really well with. I've had a lot of male bosses that I've worked really well with, but it's always been in a situation where we were more, um, it was more direct leadership. Like this is my boss. Of course I take direction, but peers on a peer level, like I guess in a relationship, we would be considered peers. I don't handle it as well. So I guess that's one thing that I've learned. Yeah. Um, one of the main things that I've learned about myself, I guess, in this relationship, um, be, you know, before, before I, before I met you in all my past relationships, I, I would get into relationships because I felt like I needed a relationship. Like I, I didn't know how to live with myself. I didn't know how to be alone with myself, be in my own thoughts. 
So I needed, I felt like I needed a relationship to define me, define who I am. Um, maybe also to be a distraction from looking inside. So, and I always, I always, I always tended to feel like I would find people or date people or marry people that I felt like I could help or I could fix. So my focus would be completely on that instead of inside where, where the real problem was. So as long as I had my focus on, on the relationship or somebody else and trying to help somebody else, I was too busy to, to look inside and, and uh, fix what's, what's inside of me and, or to learn how to love myself. So, you know, that's why every single relationship has failed. I mean, it takes two sides in a relationship, but that's why it failed because I never took the time to look inside myself, to love myself, to heal myself, to find a, to get to a place to where I'm happy just to be by myself. And when you, when you, when you depend on a relationship to define you, it causes so much stress and pressure in every situation in life and every little problem becomes a big problem and it's just repeating the cycle so i that's that's the main thing i learned um when i came here i had the space to actually breathe and think about things and you helped me with that so that's the main thing i've learned about myself yeah well i think that ties into being comfortable we talked about before we started recording be comfortable with conflict because any conflict is not just like the relationship is in jeopardy to be comfortable with this real, you know, we can have some conflict and maybe it is going to be a relationship ender in the beginning. Like maybe it is a deal breaker, but that's okay because you know, it, we can have conflict and this relationship does not define me. So I don't have to live or die by this relationship. I don't have to make concessions to who I am to keep the relationship at all costs. Mm-hmm. I think I know I saw that in you early on um, was like, well, we can make it work and it doesn't matter what it costs me. And I was in that in my last relationship or a couple of relationships ago where I realized like I would do anything to keep the relationship going no matter what it cost me because I couldn't stand the idea of not having the relationship. Mm-hmm. And when you can get out of that pattern to where you say, I really love this person and I love this relationship, but I also... I also can stand up for myself. Then you can you can really have healthy conflict, mm-hmm. and be able to. Sometimes you have to really stand your ground, um, and assert yourself and who you are. And I've seen that change in you, which has been really really fun. As we started dating rather casually, and then it turned really really serious. And then it was like the real dynamic started to be very very I think healthy. Yeah, it took a, f- a few months, couple months, right? Yeah. Well, we. If you've heard our story, like we met and basically started dating, living together from go. It was ridiculous. Well, I mean, part part of the problem was, you know, what you were just talking about. I was stuck in that pattern of making concessions for probably the past two or three relationships where, you know, I wanted a I wanted a relationship to work so bad that I would just I would lose myself in it and I would give up concessions for it. So then. So then when you put so much stock in that, like, this has to work because I'm putting everything into it and it has to work. Or what if it doesn't work? Then who am I? Yeah. Then who am I? Like, what, what am I if this doesn't work out? So then the fear would set in. So then when a little problem would arise, all of a sudden I would have this panic. Like, no, I'll do anything to fix this. You know, that, that all stems from not loving yourself. 
Yeah. That's that's the bottom line. That's and that's what I learned. When we saw that in our dynamic early on, so when we first started dating, I was on prep for my bodybuilding show and I was a hormonal mess and I was so short tempered and I was so my nerves were fried and I was so rude and so mean and just I was a total raging biatch and I would I like to say that that's not ever normally how I am except in that extreme situation of dieting eating no fat um, on lots of supplements that like suppress uh, estrogen all this stuff and so I would just be a raging bitch and he would take it and then eventually he would stand up for himself and then I would be upset and crying because I'd be like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm such a jerk and then you'd be like, it's okay, it's okay. And I'd be like, no, it's not okay that I'm behaving this way. And it was, it was a really unhealthy dynamic initially. And once I got off of the bodybuilding thing, and then he had enough practice, I think, you had enough practice standing up for yourself. And then I came down off of being a monster. We learned that really quickly, that, um, that it doesn't work in our dynamic when either one of us is inauthentic. But when you're just trying to keep me happy, you're not happy, and then I'm not happy because I'm like, why aren't you fighting back? Right. Why are you letting me behave this way? So that was a tough dynamic initially, but well, you know, just stopping bodybuilding helps some of that. Yeah, well, you know, part of the reason why I, I mean, you're 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 correct, but then there's also, you know, when I met you, I saw I saw you, I saw you, you know, so so when the the bodybuilding stuff happened and you were a little bit different. I knew that that wasn't who you were, you know, so because I, I, I had already met you. I, I knew who you were. So I knew that was just something was going on. Well, and the interesting thing, you know, I talked about the, the well, one of the reasons why a relationship can be really hard if you've been single for a long time and living alone is, at least for me, I built my life here. I set up my routine here. I built my businesses here. And so n- no one ever impeded anything that I ever did. My routine was mine. My cupboards were mine. My bed is mine. My house is mine. Everything is mine. And then doing bodybuilding prep the year before, like I I had no idea I was a raging bitch because I wasn't around anyone. And when I got to my first show and I was around Amanda at the show, I was a raging bitch to her. But, (laughs) and it was surprising to me and I actually didn't notice it. I thought she was being, well, we were both, we were both not our best selves, but this was the first time I was on prep and with somebody to notice how awful I was because nothing set me off or pissed me off when I was all by myself. And so another, it's another like highlight of like why a relationship is so powerful to us because knocking your personality up around other, another person shows you who you are. And in that situation, the mirror of living with Roy showed me the ugliness of my behavior that I didn't know was there. And it was, horrible for me to see I hated it and you know he was kind and wonderful but I would never want anyone I love to ever date that version of Kristen she was a monster and she was mean and she was terrible um I'm so glad you endured that with me and now he doesn't take that crap from me hell no hell no stand down young lady anyway all right so another thing that I learned uh I'm really slow to repair so I'm really stubborn I I knew I was kind of stubborn but kind of going along with the first thing that I learned, um, when we do have a fight and I've screwed up, I have a really, a really, really hard time making it right completely. So I'll be like not super slow at saying, hey, I'm sorry. But the actual repair of, you know what? 
my behavior was unacceptable. I realize that I hurt your feelings or whatever it is. I'm really sorry. That takes me time. And part of it is, you know, I, it takes me a while to process and really understand what I did wrong. But part of it is I'm stubborn. My ego is really big when it comes to this stuff, probably in part because of what I do with life coaching and all this reading. And it's easy for me to be like, well, I certainly couldn't have been the problem because I'm so smart in my self growth. (laughs) And then that's garbage because we're all, I could study and learn and teach for the rest of my life and be just as messy of a human as every single other person. So um, it's not been pleasant for me to really see how stubborn I am when it comes to being wrong. And especially with this whole male dynamic I just described, I realized some of my other relationships were successful as long as they were because I was with people who um, avoided conflict with me, who did not, they were just weren't, they were not people who liked conflict or like Randy, I dated Randy for a long time. Randy just, he just went along basically with everything. He just wanted to be nice. And that was kind and great. But I mean, that was an artificial dynamic in hindsight because neither one of us, I found out after I moved out of Randy's house, um, he said in passing, he was like, oh my God, yeah, it's so nice not to wipe up the coffee drips off the counter. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you always dripped coffee every single morning. And I had to clean it up. It drove me nuts. I'm like, you literally never told me that. I would have made sure I didn't drip coffee. If you told me, he's like, well, why would I, why would I make a stink about something so little? That's just dumb. I could just clean it up. I'm like, but you hated it. So that's like so artificial. Just, you know what I mean? And so in this dynamic, we're both getting very comfortable with having conflict because we don't believe it's the end of the relationship. But I am still really uncomfortable with really making full amends. And that's, it's hard for me to swallow. But it's the first time I've really been in a dynamic where someone has held me this accountable from a garbage. And not like, again, not like Roy is me, but Roy is sensitive. And so I hurt Roy's feelings um, because I can be really harsh and abrasive and other people might just take it, but he can't just pretend. And so I have to, I have to be held accountable for my behavior a lot more than ever. It's hard for me. Yeah, and I'm stubborn. No, no. <laughs> No, not unfortunately. Fortunately. So anyway, you can weigh in on that. I'm talking a long time. Um, You're always the first to apologize. I am. Always. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess I am. Yes, you are. 100%. (laughs) Every time. I'm used to apologizing. Um, Yeah, along with what you're talking about, about, um, I, I, I I learned that it, from this relationship, but it is possible to have healthy conflict. Like I'm so used to being in relationships where, where it was just, you know, toxic or if there's an issue, it just would blow up into a huge thing. So, so I'm always on edge. So every time there's conflict, I'm, it's getting easier with you, but in the beginning, like every time there'd be conflict, I, I would tense up and I would get, I would, cause I would be anticipating this big blow up happening, you know what I mean, and just, mm-hmm. and I'm just I was just so used to that that I just assume that's how it is. That's you know what I mean. I know that sounds weird, but and I am like 100. percent I will not engage in conflict like that. We've had some blowout fights, like yeah. everybody does, but that that conflict I do still want to avoid. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. 
It's the worst. That kind of thing is. Well, we should talk about this a little bit as a as a bunny trail. Okay. What I think, what I think is important in fights, in relationship fights. Not that I'm an expert, but I have found this to be helpful, and I didn't make it up. Someone taught this to me. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was like Gary Chapman or something from the Love Languages. But in arguments, it's important not to say things like always and never because nobody ever always or never is anything. Well, that's a big problem I have. I, I yes, do that you a do. Lot. I do that a lot. You always I do always that. I always do that. <laughs> <laughs> you never stop doing that. You always do it. Like you always do. No, and that's actually been something like that we've had to learn in our in our conflict. But to keep the main thing the main thing. So if you're fighting about something, like we're fighting about the, you know, about the sand in the bed, instead yeah. of like turning it into, you know, bedtime and then disrespect and then insomnia and then like seven hundred things. When it, we're we're fighting about the thing, let's keep the main thing the yeah. main thing. And then no one ever always or never is anything. That's true. Those are important things in conflict, well, and we're I'm getting better right. at that. You are never right. I'm always <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so all that to say. I'm really slow to repair. So what I'm really having to tell myself, my mantra for this one is to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, when I remind myself of that, that is the key for me in this one because I have a really hard time knowing that my partner sees my flaws, sees my warts, sees my ugly sides. We all have ugliness. I have ugliness. We all have ugliness. But the ultimate vulnerability is that 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 it's seen. And I don't have fear that Roy isn't going to love me anymore, but I don't want him to see it. It's really hard for me to let him see it. Other people can see my warts and stuff. It's not as painful, but it's really, really hard for the person that I loved to see up close and personal a flaw, especially when my flaw has hurt him. It's just, it's, I get embarrassed and I get, um, I get really closed off and I want to wall up. And when I just remind myself to be vulnerable, that crumbles all that. And it's like, it's okay to say, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I was really, really off course. It's hard for me to even say that without getting emotional because I feel so bad. I don't think I've ever been, it's never been as important to me to make full repair as it is in this relationship because Roy is very sensitive, which is beautiful, which is what I want. I've always wanted that. I've never been with someone really, really soft and smushy, as I call it. And that's the thing I most want. And therefore, that's the thing that I most, I must protect the most and be most like my hardest parts knock against his squishiest parts and I need to be squishy too in those same areas. That's what I'm learning. I think, you know, I th- I think that's pretty normal to not want your partner to, to see your flaws and your weaknesses. I, I don't, I don't want you to see my flaws, you know, and what you're talking about earlier about how you, you get stubborn because you feel like, you know, you're this life coach and, you know, fitness instructor and all this stuff. So, you, so you, it makes it hard for me or other people to see your flaws. But you know what? We are, we're all flawed and we're always going to be learning for the rest of our life. The person who says that they're, they're done learning, they failed. We're, that's something that I've, that I've been learning about myself is like, I have so much to learn. You know, I'm just, I just scratched the surface and I have so much. So I'm going to be learning until the day I die. And, and I've also learned 
I was also learning about grace, giving my partner grace and understanding and giving myself grace when, when I fall. Just to, you know, you can, it's okay to fall. Just get back up. That's it. This way, I love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if this is making you all vomit. But it's true. I think sometimes we look for something in a partner because we want it. And then when it's on display, it's often hard. I don't know how, how to say it. But the thing that we most love and value in a person is often the thing that, that causes us the most, quote unquote, work. Because it's typically something that we don't necessarily have or it mirrors us in such a way that we have a really hard time. Like say, like the reason I have conflict with that person is because we're very much the same. That can also be the truth. Like I have a very soft schmoopy part. And when that's hardened and his is schmoopy, that's challenging for me because usually I've hardened myself out of protection. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been an interesting dynamic um, to explore there. Vulnerability, vulnerability. Yeah. So I got to keep saying that. So I, when I say that in my head, be vulnerable, it's like the little girl in me starts, the little Chrissy comes out and I find out what's really going on. It's like, well, I'm really embarrassed. Like that's what it really ends up being for me a lot of the time when I hurt your feelings or I misbehave in our dynamic, if that's not the right word, but mm. I get embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that either until I was thinking about it recently, so. All right, so that's another thing I learned. What's another thing you've learned? Oh, man. Um, you wrote some down. Oh, what did I write down here? You wrote down that not everyone is the same and not oh, yeah. to take it so, so <laughs> I, I got I, you. I, thank you. <laughs> I tend to take it, real, take it, you know, like going along with what she was saying about how I'm really sensitive. I am. I'm really sensitive and sometimes to a fault, but I have, I have a problem with... Um, I expect everyone to react the way I do or think the way I do or feel the way I do. And if they don't, then I get my feelings hurt because I don't understand why they wouldn't, why they wouldn't feel the same way that I do about this. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, everyone hasn't grown up the same way I have. They, everybody has different dynamics, different family dynamics, different upbringings that, that teach us to think and feel and react different and that's okay, and, and I've, had to, I've had to learn that that's okay. And, and a lot of times my frustration when I get upset about things or anticipating something in my partner, it really, nine out of ten times, it has nothing to do with them, and it's me seeing myself and how I react. Like when I, when I get upset about something, a weakness that I have, and I see it coming out in somebody else, then I get mad because I'm really mad at myself because that's how I've reacted in the past. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I can totally see that on myself yeah. too. I have a hard time, kind of the same way, like I have a really hard time when I see, when I see fitness trainers who are not in shape, I get really upset because I'm like, you're supposed to be the example. And the reason I get so upset is because when I am not in my good shape and I'm not taking care of myself the way I should, I'm upset with myself mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm not setting a good example. And so I get angry with myself and then I project that on all of their fitness trainers. I hold all of us to this stupid, crazy high standard that I only get mad. Like I don't get mad at out of shape trainers unless I'm out of shape. 
dynamic. Like, <laughs> no, it's... And so, and I've noticed that in our dynamic, like when we are not investing in ourselves, like reading and taking care of ourselves, you and I both get really picky and... Picky and defensive. Yeah, and we pick on each other's little things because yeah. we both feel bad about what we're not doing. And so we... We exactly. highlight on each other. Exactly. And when, when we just take care of our own side of the street, we're so busy cleaning up our own garbage that the mm. other person's garbage doesn't bother yeah. us. Yeah, that's so true. Anyway, I hijacked your point. No, that's I, exactly that's what, what I, I do. I also hijack points. That's exactly what I was going to say, and I've been that, that way for a long time, so I'm finally just starting to see that. I think that's um, also humans. But our dynamic is also Roy is from California, and California has a reputation for being a lot of things. So speaking as a Minnesotan, this is what I've always known of California. Now calm down, okay, well, stay calmed. Minnesota, I would describe California as like, ooh, granola, let's hug a tree, let's plant a bush, ooh, straws are bad. Oh, let's sacrifice the whole economic stability of the country or, or of the state in order to make sure that our straws are paper and that we're, you know, using... You know, the most let's let's make all of our things out of earth that disintegrate, even though it costs seventeen hundred times more than anything else, just for the sake of being woke. Like that would be what I would say about California. And so when he's from California, I forget he's from California, and maybe that might offend him if I make those assumptions about a state I know nothing about really, mm-hmm. and I've never really been there a whole lot. One time I got really mad at you. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember months ago I. I because I kept on just biting my lip. You kept saying stuff. And then finally I'm like, hey, man, that's my home. Like, yeah. that offends me. That you, that's what, when you say that about my home, you're saying that about me. Because that's, that's how I believe. Like, yes, you know. are very granola. Well, it's kind of like, like I can criticize my dog and be like, Gus is such a brat, this, that, and the other. But if someone else is like, your dog is a brat, I'm like, excuse me? This dog is perfect. Get off of my jaw. Exactly. So same thing, like... <laughs> But so you're from California. You're you're like liberally leaning. Yeah. I'm, I'm not good no Chris conservative leaning. Yeah. And I'm definitely like I've always been the whole speaking up. Well, actually, I shouldn't say I've spoken up. I've kept my mouth shut. But in private circles, like I have really, really strong beliefs about COVID and vaccinations and political things. I don't talk about here. I don't talk about in. I don't. I very rarely talk about. But in my personal life, and I have talked about it with Roy, and I get real fired up, and we are on opposite sides on a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. which has been really hard for me because I'm like, how can I date someone who is so stupid that they don't understand that this happens in our government, and it's horrible and, and that'll the same just... way, I'm like, how can I date someone so stupid who <laughs> thinks this way? <laughs> You're a freaking idiot if you don't understand this. And so it's been a good learning experience mm-hmm. for us to go like, well, he is not stupid. He was just raised around ideas with people and experiences that shaped how he sees things. And same with me. Mm-hmm. And I can't help it that, that that everything that you've learned is wrong. That's not your fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's been an interesting thing. Um, but to remember, like... We're both individual people. Can I make a point there? Yeah. So I've struggled with that too, not just with you, with a lot of people, like back and forth. And when COVID hit and you know, I'd go down the rabbit hole and like, you know, like message threads on articles and stuff like that. And I've had one thing that I've had to learn that I, I think has helped me to see the other side is like, 
you know what, we're, we all just want what's best for this country, for each other. We all have different viewpoints. But at the end of the day, none of us are bad. We just, we want, we want things to go well. We want things, people to be happy. You know, we, we might have different viewpoints and some of them might be right or wrong, but that doesn't make anybody badder or evil. Or, and that's, that's, I think that's some of the mentality that people get that separates and divides people. You know what I mean? If, if you all just come together and realize we're all just people that want, just want stuff to work out, want the yeah, best. Yeah, everyone's like, and I, I think that's the main thing that all humans need to remember when anything controversial, especially us normal human beings walking around without any power to change anything in the, the world. Um, we, we just know what we're told. We know what, what we can, the information we can find. Mm. And we're all operating under the assumption that we want what's best for ourselves and for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Um, my problem is <clears throat> I was raised with this idea that all authority, all government is bad, all authority in the government is bad, and that you know that it's just all badness. And so I have this skeptical, I trust none of the establishment, I, I trust none of the news. I'm just so skeptical on all of it. And some of that I, I think is is fine, but some of it is just like, well, where does this come from? And so it's been challenging. It's been a good thing for me to be with somebody that doesn't just think like I do because I've dated people where we think exactly the same and it's just a sitting around and nodding and congratulating ourselves on being so right. What does that do for personal growth? Nothing. You know, some of it's been hard and challenging and a learning curve for me, but also I like that we're different because it's helped to stretch my mind. We've We've had some good in-depth conversations that have helped to stretch my beliefs and yeah i've changed your mind my... on some stuff it's been no fun. i wouldn't go that i wouldn't go that far i'm but... working on it <laughs> but you know what i'm saying give right? me a, another year <laughs> no anyway. but you do you get stuck in your in your tunnel vision of this is how i believe and nobody's gonna change my opinion and you see things one way and that's the way you see it isn't always the way it is so it's helped to stretch my mind a little bit. I love that. That is actually something we should put on the wall. The way you see it isn't always the way it is. Yeah. So this analogy that I, that I got when I was doing some exploration in my mind with some assisted devices um, of like the stadium. So if you're sitting in a stadium, a round stadium, I guess most stadiums are oval, but let's just say it's round. So if I'm sitting on the north side of the stadium and Roy is sitting on the south side of the stadium and in the middle of the stadium is a giant, huge ball. And if I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, that's a white ball and there's a big red stripe. And Roy says, no, there's, it's a big white ball and it's a big orange stripe. But like, we could fight all day about this ball being white and red or white and orange. When really, it's white, red, and orange. He's seeing the orange stripe that I cannot see I'm seeing the red stripe that he cannot see. And no matter how long we argue and fight, the fact remains that's a white, orange, and red ball. He's never going to say, I know. That's what I'm telling you. This is the stuff that helps your brain. That analogy that came to me that one day has helped me in so many conversations to be like, listen, I don't need to argue this person because they are seeing truth. I am seeing truth. Neither one of us is seeing the whole truth. So... We could hate each other and fight, or we could just say, hey, um, I want Starbucks. Do you want Starbucks? Yes, I do. Let's go do that and let <laughs> someone else figure out this ball situation. So right. that's my analogy. No, that's good. A good friend of mine had this similar, not analogy, but along those lines where 
when you start to panic about everything that's going on in the world and all the differences and this and that, you know what he told me? He said, you know what? You know what I do? I keep my head down and I, I just focus on what I can control. My little world, my little family. I focus on that. And that's all you can do. Well, if we all did that, yeah. man, the whole world would be so much better. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's just like we're talking with relationship. If we worry about keeping our side of the street so damn clean that it's impeccable, we won't have time to worry about anybody else's street. And the whole world will be clean. Yeah. So we're amazing. We are amazing. We are amazing. Gosh. All right. So those are some of the things that we've learned. We're also going to talk about this other topic that I love. This is something I very firmly believe in. It's been really important to remember and the fact that I live in, um, it's actually, I used to say this place was 800 square feet. It's not, it's 680 square feet. We live in 680 square feet, Roy and me and Gustavo. And Gustavo takes up a lot of space with his crap and his toys and his playpen. And he's just a nightmare. So between the three of us, there's not much space. So in relationship, there are two different categories of conflict or issue. Well, there's probably more, but I like to sum them up with, it, with these two. There are roommate issues and there are relationship issues. So if you're living with your person, which, yes, Roy and I live in sin, and that's just the way it is. Um, Mom, I'm sorry. But I know it's fine. Um, <laughs> so there are roommate issues and there are relationship issues. And I think a lot of relationships suffer when people take roommate issues and make them relationship issues. Like, I'm so pissed at him. I don't know if I can handle this because you know what? He leaves his dirty clothes all over. He doesn't clean up after himself. He watches TV too loud. He's just the worst. Can't stand him. Used to love him. Now I can't stand him. That's just an example, guys. That's not. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. No, no, Roy doesn't do anything. No, yeah. You're, thank you for pointing that out. That, Roy doesn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> so all of a sudden, instead of seeing our person as like this person we love, we see them as a bad roommate. And some partners are bad roommates. They are. But guess what? We can all work on being better roommates. And the relationship doesn't have to have anything to do with it. Now, easier said than done because roommate issues can turn into relationship issues if they're not handled. That's what happens. You start out, it's all fun and fine. And just like with living with anybody, you start to see some of their bad habits that have nothing to do with their feelings for you or the depth of your connection, but have everything to do with, can I live with this person? And some people have great relationship and they can't live together. And I think that's very sad. Um, We don't have that problem because we're figuring that if we can make it work in 600 square feet and on international trips with another person in a, a single condo, like three of us, we're fine. We're pretty good, man. But so, so an example of roommate issues. What are some of our roommate issues? Um, sand in the bed. Yeah, there's always sand in the damn bed. Always. When I lived here before Roy moved in, I never had sand in my bed. I never had sand in my house, hardly at all, except by the door. Now Roy moves in, and all of a sudden there's sand everywhere, and we fight about this because um, clearly it's not me because I've lived here for two years without sand. Now that Roy's here, there's sand. So clearly it's all his fault that there's sand. Course, my fault. Yes. And so I decided to just stop talking about the sand in the bed, but then eventually it blew up into this big thing where it was basically like that snake on a plane thing where Samuel L. Jackson was like, <laughs> I'm sick of the snakes on the plants. Insert swear words. I'm sick of the GD sand in the GD bed. I can't handle it. I wake up sometimes covered in sand. I'm like, I could go sleep outside. So that can become a relationship issue if I keep nagging about it. Well, if you keep nagging about it and if you, and if you think that, that I don't care, that I'm not doing it about it, you can start to resent me for it. I did. I started to resent started it. Yeah. So we had a big fight about it last week. Yeah, big misunderstanding. It was a big fight. We had a fight about sand on the bed. So that's a roommate issue. Another roommate issue. 
Um, Roy really hates it when I don't hang up the hand towel in the bathroom. This is the thing. There, there wasn't a hook in the bathroom when I got there, so I put a hook on the wall for the hand towel. She washes her face and puts the towel right underneath the hook <laughs> on the counter. Yeah, it's fine there. It's always been there. That's not a, that's not a big... Uh, it drives him nuts. Not not it doesn't drive me nuts enough to like make me mad or anything. It's just like I go I go in there and I laugh and I shake my head and I'm like <laughs> why? It's right there. It's right there. No, here's the problem. It's a stupid hook. I don't like the hook. And if I miss the hook, it falls into the toilet or onto the garbage can. So I'd rather just keep it safe on the counter. I've never had that problem. I know. Well I never needed a hook. Yeah, I don't really have that many I don't think we have that we many. We have a lot of them. We, uh, uh, we wrote them. Share, oh the dishwasher. I <laughs> hate dishwashers. <laughs> Dishwashers are the stupidest thing ever because guess what? All right, I just had a bowl of protein ice cream. I'm going to take the bowl to the sink. I'm going to rinse it out. I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to rinse it out and then put in the dishwasher to sit and eventually we'll run the dishwasher. Then I'll take it out and put it away. There's like three steps here. Or when I have the bowl, I put it in the sink. I immediately put soap in it, rinse it out, and set it in a drying rack so it is clean and ready to go. Now, I can put it all away later, or I can also just grab it right out of the drying rack. But I've saved so many steps. I never used my dishwasher in this house ever until last November. I used the dishwasher for what God intended, storage space for Giant Tubs protein powder. So I hate the dishwasher, but we rented our house out in November, and I was like, hey, I bet those people are going to want to use the dishwasher because they're like they're normal, normal people. people. So we got rid of the dish drying rack, and we started using the dishwasher and it makes me so mad because I want to make breakfast for my love of my life and I can't because all of the breakfast dishes from yesterday are dirty in the dishwasher and still in the dishwasher or they're clean in the dishwasher and I can't start breakfast till I unload the dishwasher. So now my life has become completely inefficient <laughs> because of the goddamn dishwasher. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, so it's little stuff like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, not- I don't really get the dishwasher thing. You know, we always had dishwashers, and my mom always t- taught us to, you know, make make sure you pack it good and f- wait till it's completely filled before you Garbage. run it. You know, and don't waste water. <clears throat> so we get really mad. So, so these are really these are roommate issues, and so we're working on them. Like with sand in the bed, I'm just, you know, sand bothers me. So guess what? I could yell at him all day about this, or I could just vacuum more and take care of the sand on the floor more. And then just simply say, hey, before we get in bed, let's uh, fluff off the comforter. Because sometimes, guess who's getting sand in the bed? Gus. Gus. It's, Gus some- it is. It's not me. It's sometimes him. it's him. Because you know what he does, guys? I t- well, it's kind of probably my fault because I take him to the beach to, for a walk. But then he'll come to bed, and then he likes to crawl underneath the comforter like dogs do. So that's probably how the sand gets in there. Also... Roy loves Gus. So when we come in from the beach covered in sand and Gus is on the bed wagging his tail, Roy cannot resist running over there, laying his sandy body on the bed to schnuffle. Gus, it's so adorable. But inside I'm like, you (laughs) jerk face are getting sand in my bed. So anyway, so the solution is not to just have fights about this all the time, especially on a podcast. But I'm going to vacuum more. We're making a better effort at getting the boot camp stuff clean. Part of the reason we have so much sand is we do boot camp, and everything for boot camp is That's covered. You guys in don't sand. understand. We have a huge wagon in our living room. Two, two wagons that that we cart back and forth to the beach with weights and all kinds of gear. So it gets sand in it. Then we bring it into the apartment, and then when you shake it out, it gets sand all over the floor. So we're literally sweeping, and vacuuming like four or five times a day. That's no joke. Yeah. So 
Anyway, so we had this big fight. So the solution was we're, we live at the beach. There's always going to be a sand situation. Clearly, my processes from before Roy coming in were different, but that doesn't mean that we can't find happiness. <laughs> so we clean off the bed before we get in it, and I vacuum more at the end. So these roommate issues become relationship issues when we choose to let them fester and not just say, let's find a, yeah. a win. I think there's a win-win. I believe you can find a win-win in every single relationship dynamic issue, every roommate issue. There's, there is. There's always a win-win if both people are willing to try. You will find it. Absolutely. Always. The hand towel thing, like, I really do try. That, I'm not, I'm just you don't. do not try. I try. You're so full of it. I do try. Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, and then I don't chew as much gum anymore, which yeah. also helps. I'm not going to tell them that. Disgusting. You can you? tell okay. them that. So when I first met her, she used to chew so much gum. Because I couldn't eat. And you know what she would do? She would, she would take her. Know. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> she would take her chewed out. I'd find chewed up gum on her nightstand, on her Coke cans, all over the house. There'd be chewed up pieces <laughs> of gum everywhere. It was so gross. And I had to clean it up. You didn't have to clean it up. You chose to clean it up. Because I didn't want to look at it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't have any of these issues when no one else lived here. No one that, saw my mess. That and your, your dental floss sticks oh, everywhere yeah. in the house. I really believe in flossing, and you just floss and then just let it lie. That's bad. But I don't do that. I don't Ooh. chew gum or and I don't floss as much anymore. To my pet peeve, when people floss their teeth in front of you, and also if they're clipping their toenails or fingernails, not over a trash can, just let it fly all willy-nilly. That drives me crazy. Hey, I have, a, I have a tip for that. Clip your toenails <laughs> over the toilet. Yeah, or that. Because then they idea. just fall in there and you flush them. Yeah. I didn't do that last night, sorry. All right, I'm not talking about last night. I'm just saying in general. I didn't clip my toenails last night. I was kidding. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so that's our mean That's our uh, relationship. I almost said marriage. Oh. Our relationship advice is keep the roommate issues the roommate issues before they turn into mm -hmm. relationship issues. And we're not, we're not experts. We are twice-divorced human beings. Um, but... You know, we we have been together for almost a year, so we're really good at um, being together for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but anyway, the moral of the story is: is a relationship is not created to complete you. It's not created to bring you the love of your life. It's a tool um, of life to teach you about yourself and to give you somebody to walk through life with. I'm so excited that I'm a Roy, because doing everyday life is just so much more fun and enjoyable yes. with a good partner. And um, and it could have all fallen apart by now, except I think we both are. Um, I think we, we met at the right time or we're both interested in growing and yeah. stopping being jerks in these little ways and just well, trying, to, I think trying you, to be better people. I think when you find someone that you have such genuine respect for that you just want to be a better person for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I started out by saying like before, I was like, oh, I would rather just be alone and work on my stuff and work on my business and spend all my time working than deal with another person and like compromise and take the time to go do what they want to do. And it was like so much, the idea of so much work. But um, I think, I'm guessing that when you meet the right person that you have good chemistry with that it's it doesn't feel that way because it doesn't feel that way i would rather i would much rather take the time and effort into investing in this relationship than just work on my own stuff all the time because it's i don't know it's worth it 
<laughs> and I like you and stuff. <laughs> so anyway, there's our little relationship episode. My highest rated episodes in the past six months have been the ones with Roy. So I figure, hey, we should keep this right. train rolling. That is right. I said it. Must be true then, huh? We should talk about our pet peeves about each other. When I say things, Roy goes, is that right? Yeah, just a figure of speech. Like, oh, is that right? Oh, you don't say. It's I'm like going to be that. like, I said it. She's of like, course What, do you, what do you think? I'm a liar? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a little defensive. Uh, yeah. It's, anno- it's, yeah. You're an- it's annoying. That's annoying. <laughs> anyway, all right, we're going to go unload the dishwasher now. And uh, I'm going to go check and see. Go see if that hand towel is hanging up, will oh, you? I bet you it's not. Hold I on, I bet guys. it's not. Hang on. He's going to investigate. It is. I it, it is. Oh, because he put it on there. All right. That's all, folks, from uh, <laughs> from us in relationship world. Okay. Say goodbye, Roy. Goodbye, Roy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.